Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We've already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence so you will never work for someone else again. And now, here's your host, Dustin Heiner. All right, it is time for the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit your J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by having investments, real estate, by having businesses, side hustles, and every single way possible to quit that J-O-B. And I want you to get started doing that right away. That's why I have the Successfully Unemployed Show. See, I invest in real estate, but there are so many ways to make money. And I'm going to encourage you to get started, to create a side hustle. Start doing something that you want to do that you know you could probably make money from. And if you don't have any ideas of how else to make money, listen to this podcast. I highlight so many experts who have already done it, who are successfully unemployed, and they will show you exactly how they did it. Now, I invest in real estate. I want to show you how to invest in real estate. Text the word RENTAL. R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. And I will literally give you my free real estate investing course. Full course showing you literally how to do everything from buying properties, finding a new area of the country to invest, making sure you don't lose money, where you're making $250 a month in passive income, and you're buying and hold rental properties. I will literally show you that. Remember, text the word rental to 33777. Now, today, I'm bringing on the author of Mindful Millionaire, a fantastic book. It's a new way to think about money or a different way to think about money. See, if I were to write a finance book or a money book, it'd be literally X, Y, and Z. Do this, then do this, then do this. Well, this author wrote a book called Mindful Millionaire where we think more about money, how our relationship is with money, what happened in our history or our past that helps us in or influences us in a good way or a bad way with our money so that we can have a better perspective, so we can do better with our money. On top of that, she helps build businesses. She coaches people how to have successful businesses. And I brought her on. She's fantastic. Her name is Lisa Peterson. She is the author of Mindful Millionaire. I'm so excited to have her on the show. So let's listen in as Lisa shares with us how to become a mindful millionaire and create businesses and become successfully unemployed. Thank you so much for being with us on the Successfully Unemployed show. I'm super excited to have you guys here today, and I'm really excited to have my guest on. And she has great businesses. On top of that, she has Airbnb and businesses that make money for her without even working. It's fantastic. And so I wanted to bring on an expert on growing your business even bigger than what it currently is and be able to scale the business, make it even more money so you literally don't have to work that J-O-B, that just overbroke job. We want to get out of those and be on our own. So I'm super excited to have Lisa Peterson on the show. So Lisa, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Dustin, for having me. So we met probably about a, actually about a year ago. We were hiking through Arizona in the wintertime. Arizona is just absolutely phenomenal. I love being here. We were hiking this huge, huge mountain. And there's actually a picture you took of me on the top of Camelback Mountain. I was like, I love that picture. So I put it like plastered everywhere. So I remember that. That was a great, great trip. So from you having the idea of being able to start a business, being able to grow and scale the business. You didn't start there, but right now, how do you make money to provide for your family, for yourself without working a J-O-B? Great question. 
So my husband and I work together in several businesses. I also have a coaching and education business. So I think as I was doing my taxes this year, it's like seven different income streams, which is fascinating and none of it is a job. So we've been dabbling in it for a long time, but my husband has been more the entrepreneur and I've been the person who had the job up until six years ago. So that's when I made the transition to say, it's time, I need to, leave and do this and take the risk. How many years ago did you say it was six years? Yeah, 2014. So that was a big leap. And I'll be honest, my parents had been entrepreneurs growing up and they really struggled financially. And so for me, it was a big leap to know that we had our bases covered before I started the business. I just didn't feel comfortable not having the job. And so it took me many, many years of working for others to take the no the, the jump off the deep into the deep end. I agree. So so when I was working a regular job, I was working the county government and I was buying one property after another for long-term rental properties back in 2006. And so I really wanted to quit my job. Like I just want to be entrepreneurial and I wanted to just literally be on my own, but I couldn't just up and quit. Like number one, that's not in me to do that. But number two, I had a wife that wouldn't let me do that and my kids. And so it's really interesting. So talk to us a little bit about how you got started. We're just normal people, but we become extraordinary by taking a different route than most people. They just work our entire lives. That's all we know. We just work for somebody else. But there are so many other ways to make money. So what were you doing before? And then how did you transition that into being full-time? So I have worked in financial services for almost 30 years and everything's always been oriented to finance. And I think that came because I got an MBA early nineties and I knew I wanted to work with money because I wanted to have money. And so I ended up kind of moving through a lot of different jobs. I worked in insurance. I worked in marketing. I went to work for a big bank. I eventually became a mortgage banker and then eventually a financial advisor. And what's interesting about my trajectory is that every job I took was actually in the back of my mind, the idea that I want to master finance. And because my husband and I started building houses and flipping them back in the 90s, even the move to the mortgage banking business was like, you know what? You need to really understand how mortgage banks make decisions and how they're going to underwrite you and how you can get loans if you want to. Like I was really fascinated by that industry, which led to us, I think, building a pretty substantial chunk of money in real estate because I felt so comfortable in that industry. Later on, it became well, now what am I going to do about this money? And I went and became a certified financial planner. So it's always been about how do we take care of ourselves? And then how could I also make money in a job that was helping me learn those things? I agree. And I love the idea of having a job that helps you to learn even more rather than just working to make money. Because that's all we're ever taught. You know, we go to school, we go to college, and we're just taught you learn how to work and then you work and then you work to make money. There's so many great benefits of not working just for money, working to learn, working to network, working to build your, your just your understanding of business or whatever it might be. It could be a craft, but working instead of just for money, working for free if you need to, to get networking. Like I would literally pay Warren Buffett $10,000 a year to work for him. I would go, you know, Warren, here's a check. Let me work for you so that I can work and get off of it. It's just 
pick his brain or just being around, just being around that, I would get so much information. So that's awesome. Now, how was the transition now into being full-time? Obviously you had your husband, he was doing entrepreneurial stuff on the side, but then also you stepping into it. What, was there a lot of fears going into it? And what was the process of getting into jump, you know, taking that leap and being self-employed? I would say that it was not easy. It did not work out as well as I would have liked. I think I jumped, even though we had the financial resources, I jumped in without really understanding the marketplace and how I was going to do my job. Basically, I didn't know what I was going to do and how I was going to help people. I've always been a bit creative and I knew that what I wanted to do wasn't something I could go model after somebody else. I wanted to create it from the ground up. So it took me a few years to hit my stride. And in the course of that, interesting enough, when I wasn't doing, like I'd always made a lot of money in my career. And now I'm like, my husband's like you, you know, he's like, what happened? You know, like you're not making money anymore. And interesting enough, that actually led us to me figuring out, well, how, if I'm not going to make a lot of money in this job that I'm trying to create for myself, then what other ways can we create income streams? And so even though we had, I think, a pretty strong net worth at the time, my brain started working differently that instead of flipping properties, it was like, how about we start buying or building properties that could be rented out? And this was when the whole Airbnb thing was taking off. And so that was the transition. It's like, we need another income stream. And oh my gosh, what if it were so consistent that it just made me be more happy in the work that I'm doing with my coaching business? And that's kind of what started it. That's great. And you are in Flagstaff and Sedona, the two fantastic places to have Airbnb. So I love that idea. That's fantastic. So as we are starting businesses as we're either doing side hustles or doing something where now venturing out on our own, not saying we actually quit our job yet because we haven't done that. We're starting to make money outside of our job, our J-O-B. So what is the first step that we should take in growing our business, you know, far from just making a couple of dollars here and there, what's the first step we should take to start growing the business? Yeah. Well, in the case of real estate, what I will say is we used to live in a very expensive home that my husband had custom built for us. And the big transition was being like the consumer of that product, this big house and all of our money being plowed into the house. We didn't have a mortgage. And it was like, what can be done to take the resources to start to have that money? We live in a far, you know, we went from 4,000 square feet to like 1,200 square feet. And like making that transition so that we could take the money and start to invest it. So the first thing we did was we bought a commercial building in Sedona and we had never been commercial real estate, you know, yeah, owners. We didn't know how to do it, but it was like with anything, I strongly suggest that you don't go and get involved in something too big that you can't handle. I knew that we, I looked at our strengths and our weaknesses and I said, this is enough. Like we're going to learn how to handle these rents. We're going to learn what issues come up for maintaining the property. We're going to learn about how to negotiate our leases. Like we took that on and we did that for about 18 months before we did anything else. Like we needed to master that before we were ready to take on something new. And so each time it's like, if you're going to go into this, you're going to need to be really open-minded. You're going to need to ask people who know what, you know, they done it before. How can you learn from people who know what they're doing? And I had a client at the time that was a commercial real estate broker. And so we would go to her, you know, to ask questions as things came up. But my point is, is that we wanted to take our assets and have our assets working for us. We weren't real big in the stock market. You know, that was 
we had done so well with real estate, we wanted to have something that we controlled and that we were, we were building for, you know, if we're going to get even a mortgage, like we could look out into the future and like, oh, if that's paid off in 10 years, this is what the income stream is going to look like after that. You know, right now it may not be that great. I'm thinking 10 years, 20 years out, like how do we retire comfortably so that we've got multiple income streams coming in? And that's how I'm making my decisions now. So multiple income streams. I absolutely love that idea. I know with my businesses that I create, usually it's a passive income. I love passive income. So every business I try to create now is other people are doing the work for me, or it's a product that is continually selling something like that. When you do coaching, let's do this. Like I have a business. I'll give you an example. Let's have you walk me through like just a coaching call with me. Let's say I have a business. I'm getting started and I'll give you an example. So for Master Passive Income, which is my brand where I teach people how to do real estate, right now, you know, I have courses that I'm selling and I'm coaching and it's doing okay. Now, what would you suggest if I am a coach, if I am helping other people, what should I do to start pulling myself either out of the business or make it bigger or better to make more money or help more people, what would you suggest I do? So that's a big question. And I, I'm going to preface it sort of in the direction of what I often focus on, just so we can get a little more specific. Uh, typically, people come to me because something's not working in the way that they want it to. Like there's some problem, maybe their profits aren't as high as they want it to be or they get snagged because they're not feeling comfortable in sales. Like for me, I'm really good at noticing where is fear getting in the way of someone building their business, someone kind of reaching their goals. That happens to be a superpower of mine. So my orientation is, is I want to see where like there's ways of diagnostically looking at the business, like looking at the main pillars of a business. You know, what are your profits look like? What are your operations look like? What does your marketing look like? What does your operations look like? And so typically I'm going to be looking at all aspects of the business to see if there's some weak links in the components of what you're putting together. And that is kind of where the instructions will start to be focused. Because if something's working, no need to spend more time on it is the way I look at it. You got that covered. But I want to see what needs to be optimized. And you might not even notice that it's something that you're not paying attention to that needs to be focused on. So what question should I be asking or I should be thinking about that is a fear in my business that I have? Yeah. So... Uh, off the top of my head, I think that the first thing, if you look at finance, we're going to look at profitability and like, what is that true profitability number and how are you coming you know, terms with it? Is it barely getting by? Are you creating a profit of 10%? How are you, you know, factoring that in? A lot of times people don't, it's like they don't realize the benefit of getting super specific. And this is why this time of year is so, I love it, you know, April coming up on tax time. Because if you haven't paid attention to the details, now is the time to go through line item by line item. What are you spending money on? What are you getting a great return on investment on? And what isn't helping you, for example? So, you know, finance is one part of it. Another part would be sales. You know, a lot of people have businesses that orient to being, you know, they need to get in that sales mode. And having been in sales most of my career, I cannot say enough for the importance of having incredibly specific goals set for yourself and then keeping track of those goals on a weekly, at a minimum, on a monthly basis. So like I know that I want to have, you know, $20,000, let's say, coming in every month. 
and then making sure that you're tracking those objectives on a weekly, monthly basis. Uh, for example, let's say you're doing this by the third week. If you know that you need to bring in $10,000 or $20,000 and you're 50% off your goal, all of your attention needs to become focused on how are you going to make that objective in this last month. And you know, I know we're going to talk a little bit about Airbnb, but it's funny because I found that every single business that we run has this ability to be, has opportunities for us to become hyper-focused in one particular area where it's like, I have to meet this objective. How am I going to do that? And then, and then because of the time constraint and because now we have an objective with finances, we can accomplish incredible things just because we put ourselves in a corner and say, I'm not letting myself out until I figure out how to answer this problem. Does that help? It sure does. And so as I'm thinking about my business and I'm thinking, okay, I have benchmarks or goals that I have to hit every single month. I will take that back. Since I have real estate, I have money coming in. So I have a unique opportunity just to say, hey, if it comes in, it comes in for my other business. Now, real estate's totally different. If it's a place isn't rented, then I'm like, okay, why isn't it rented? Let's get it rented and stuff like that. So in a business, how would you suggest we keep track of all that? I'm not a tracking person. You know, I know like you can absolutely use Excel and there's plenty of software out there that you can absolutely use, but it's not in me. Like it, I'm not a numbers person. So it's really hard for me to track. What would you suggest that we should do to start tracking everything and having metrics and seeing, Hey, this didn't work and this did work. What should we do? Yeah. I think that I'm, even though I'm like, look like a numbers person, I'm not so much like, I'll be honest with you. I will use pieces of paper on my desk to like keep track. And I just know that what you pay attention to is what actually gets focused on and what matters. So if it's a spreadsheet, if it's a piece of paper, if it's a notepad that you open up every day, like for me, I have finance Fridays. And so on my calendar, you know, from 7 to 8 a.m. on every Friday, I get a notification to look at like, where are the finances? What do you need to spend some time on? And that way it's in front of me, reminding me of the importance of paying attention to the numbers. And over the years, what I have noticed is it allows me to decrease expenses and increase profitability by paying close attention to both, not just the income, but also where is the money. For this reason, I don't outsource bookkeeping. Now, my business is kind of right there at the cusp, but, but I needed this for the past six years because as I paid attention to the bookkeeping, I became more cognizant of where is the money going and where is it coming from and what are the things I can do differently in both departments. I love the idea of making sure that you're not just tracking, but you're also looking back historically to see especially doing the bookkeeping because you see every penny that comes out. Now, it would be hard for me. I'm a pretty frugal person. So number one, to pay a bookkeeper, that's really hard for me to do. So I do it myself. But I am I know I'm probably doing some things that are either wrong or I shouldn't be doing, meaning like I'm not counting every penny for myself in my expenses. Like, oh, it's just we'll round up or something like that, whatever it might be. I usually try my best to do everything. But I'm like I said, I'm just not a numbers person. Now, if we're focusing on expenses, we can only cut so much. What can we do to help grow our business? And I mean, is it hiring people out? Is it getting virtual assistance? Is it, is it doing other things, alleviating burdens off of ourselves? How do we now help ourselves to grow a business even bigger outside of what we can do ourselves? One of the things that I think we don't pay enough attention to are those areas that we're super strong in and other people are weak in. And so a lot of my work is about bringing out those strengths because 
it is often in the strengths that we bring into the world that we don't even think about where the greatest income can be gained. And so it may be that that by knowing our strengths and also testing it in the marketplace, you know, putting the word out there like, hey, I'm looking at trying this, you know, and seeing what the response is to an idea that may be an extension of your business or maybe a new business, you know, because you have the time and you're interested. But I found that whenever we can know our strengths, the other piece is, is pay very close attention to what is the value of any given task that we're doing, right? So the whole philosophy of if I can pay somebody $25 or $35 an hour, and I can make $500 an hour doing this thing, I have no business doing that $35 an hour task. I need to find somebody to do it. And I need to focus my time on those big picture, you know, opportunities that I can make a lot more money. And so in knowing your strength, I think it becomes easier to decide what is the value of my time doing any of these given tasks. And if you want to make more money, you need to spend more time doing the $500 tasks and less time doing the $35 tasks. I completely agree with that. And something that I was really holding on to was, so articles that go onto my sites, they help with SEO or search engine optimization. Google sends people to me through all my businesses because of articles. And I was held up with writing. And so I was always writing it, but it takes so much time. And so I man, the last, I don't know, six months, I started hiring other people to write, which it's hard to do that because it's money coming out of your pocket. But I get so much more in return because people find me because of these articles, I get more articles written out. It's a great return. But the next obstacle for me was editing them. So I was like, no, I'm not going to pay an editor. I could just read it. But I realized I was the bottleneck. I was like, oh, there's like eight articles I got to read. I don't want to do that. There's so many other things I'd rather be doing than reading articles. And so I said, you know what? Self, stop being stupid. Hire an editor. So I hired an editor and that's been going so, <laughs> it's like literally, I feel like I'm floating on clouds now because I have an editor because that was such a huge relief put off me. But that was like, I don't know, $30, $40 per article that I didn't want to spend. But now it's actually getting done and I'm making more money because I'm putting towards, uh, I'm putting my time towards things that actually make money. Now, here's a thought that I always get um, kind of cut in my head. So there are strengths, but there's also things that we like to do, but it might not be a strength. How do we differentiate what we should do and what we shouldn't do if it's if it's not our strength, but we really enjoy doing it, but it takes us 10 hours as opposed to one because somebody else is better at it. What are your thoughts? Like, should we go after things we like to do or after our strengths? And how do we know which which is which? The first thought that came to mind when you asked this question is, would someone pay you to do that thing for them? That's a great question. Then you need to basically make the decision that those things are hobbies that you're doing on work hours right? So are you so in love with doing them that you would do them on Sunday afternoon when you could be hanging out with your children? That's a good question too. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you're thinking about it, number one, if nobody's going to pay you for it, then it's a waste of your time. But number two, if it's something that's like, you know, I could do without, and I'd have other things that I would rather be doing. So how do we find out what strengths that we have? Is it past experiences? Like, hey, I was really good at this because it feels like I like doing it. So I almost tend to because I like it. It's a strength, but it might not be that completely working out. But how else do we find out some strengths that we have? Depending on the type of business we're in, this may not apply for everybody. So I'm just going to kind of hit from the idea of coaching because I work with a lot of coaches is I encourage people to send notes out to their clients or to their friends. So let's say you send an email to like 
10 people that you really respect. Some of them are senior to you. Some of them are people that aren't quite at your level and some are peers. And you say to them, I'm doing some research, you know, self-discovery. I would really love it if you could tell me the things that stand out about me in comparison to other people. Like if you had someone approach you, who would I be or what topic would I be the go-to person that you would know they have to speak to? What do you know that you would hand to me over anyone else to try and problem solve around? Like you want to ask it a few different ways because people will be inspired by one question and not another, but tell them, Hey, this really means a lot to me. If you could take, you know, five, 10 minutes and just answer these questions. It's amazing what we get back because people will talk about things and you're like, I never thought that that was like a superpower, but five people said it was. I need to lean into this. And you may even go back to some of those people and say, can you talk to me about this? Because this came up several times. I want to know more about it. And people are often better judges of our superpowers than we are. As soon as you told me, I heard you say that, ask people about you. I felt so uncomfortable, like thinking about myself emailing people and asking them, I felt like, I don't know if I could say, I'm thinking that in my brain, send out emails to people and asking them that because number one, they might say, come back and like criticize me or, you know, obviously we're going to get people that are close to us that we know cherish us and love us and want to help us out. I bring out, reach out to somebody and say, Hey, you don't know me very well, but what do you think? So they're going to be hopefully good hearted people, but just internally, I'm like, Oh, wow. And then another one would be, if you're really good for punishment, you could say, well, what am I not good at? Like, what would you not want me to do? They might be able, like, quick, okay, Dustin, he's not a details person. Wow, it hurts to say that, but you're absolutely right. I'm so not a details person. I'm so like high level. I'm visionary. I'm more like, here's where we got to go. Now, how to get there, let's get other people to help me out. So that's, I love that idea that you're going to be utilizing other people that know you really well, because I think I know what I'm good at, but my wife, she is very good at helping me to realize what I'm bad at. She's like, you just stop doing that. You need me. I'm like, no, but I'm good at it. No, you're not. Stop. <laughs> it's so helpful when you have a third party or you're like, you have somebody like your spouse or a close friend or something giving you that information. So that's great advice. It's and it's okay if it makes you uncomfortable. I think you're right. Some people may you may send one out and then wait and then and then if you like it, then you can send out more. Try it. You know, just do at least one and see what I think you'll be pleasantly surprised is my take. Awesome. So let's say we do have our strengths. We know we are getting rid of the things that we like to do, even though we like to do them, but focusing on our strengths. We're hiring people to go on our weaknesses or going after and fix and things that we're not doing well, then taking it over. Is there systems that we need to put in place to make sure that these things are actually getting taken care of to make sure that the continued growth in the business keeps happening? It's a fascinating question because for many of us who are trying to find balance in life, we didn't do this because we wanted to work all the time. We did this change because we want to have flexibility in our schedules. And so I feel like this is a question to me about how do you build that perfect environment? Not that perfect totally exists, but like, how do you make sure that you're growing at a healthy pace? I recently discovered or heard from, from one of my coaches about a woman who has got this really successful business, best selling book, you know, like speaks all over the place. And she decided to set up a, a system that would teach people her methods, like a certification program, for example. And what she found after she spent like a year and a half developing it is that that thing that she built isn't actually what she wants to do. So she spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, built the business because 
everyone was saying, you've got a gold mine on your hands, you know, go do this. But, but because she did not take enough time early on, like thinking about, well, if this takes off, what's it going to feel like? What's it going to look like? How is it going to affect my life? How is it going to affect the number of hours I work? I think that the more that we can do future thinking about like, and I will, I meditate a lot. Like that's part of my thing. And so in the morning I'm meditating 30 minutes, an hour. And what I'll do in those meditations is I will take time to sit with an idea that I have. And instead of just thinking about the fact that I could do it right now and I could probably sell it, I'll think out five years or three years or 10 years and say, well, if that becomes part of what you're doing every day, is that going to bring you a lot of joy? And if the answer is like, I'm not sure, then I'm not running forward with it. So so don't get me wrong, like having goals is awesome. And that's one way I can answer the question. But I think that we owe it to ourselves, especially when we get in these situations where we've got passive income, that we are very careful about the things that we decide to invest our time in and thinking out further can help us make better decisions today. I think that's a great idea. I was interviewing another person and he was telling me very, very similar. It's like, you want to put yourself five years in the future and see, just literally stop and look around. Like, what does life look like? It was a little different perspective, but it was the idea of looking future and seeing what it's like. And that's a great point. So here's one thing with, with master passive income, what I'm doing right now is I teach people how to invest in rental properties, buying one property, you know, making $250 a month and continually doing that and growing and scaling the business to where they can actually quit their job. But here's one sad thing is, I get a lot of people that want coaching that just aren't ready. You know, maybe they're a year or two years out, but they're really excited. They want to do it. And I'm realizing I can't help them with the current things that I have. So right now I'm developing, basically it's like financial literacy for people that are, are coming in. I'm like, like, get ready to invest. This is how you get ready to invest. And I'm pausing as you're saying this, I'm like, okay, I'm currently building this. How is that going to look in five years? So I'm literally doing that as you're saying, I'm like, wow, that's brilliant. Okay. So as we are growing now. We have our strengths. We see that in five years, this is where, yes, this is absolutely what I would want to do. From there, how do we make sure we're making enough money to where we can stop working for somebody else, working that J-O-B? How do we make sure that we're making that money? Is it focusing on profits? Is it because I know if we focus on too much on profits, maybe our service goes down. How do we have a fine balance of service, but also making sure we're making enough money? I think that what we've done is, like I said, not taking on too much at one time. So pacing ourselves. So we had the commercial building, then we had we built a house and started renting it out as an Airbnb. And then we took our former primary house and made it into an Airbnb. But each step along the way, we were able to assess, do we enjoy what we're doing? Is this helping us? And we're growing, like we're learning and then using the feedback that we're gaining to make the decision, is this what we want to continue to do next? I'm not sure if I've kind of lost the thought of what you were asking me, but for us, it's very much about pacing and then checking in to see what do the numbers look like? And is this making sense? Because sometimes you'll get into projects and you realize that they aren't actually as profitable as you thought they were. And, it, and you might not know that for a year into the project, especially with real estate. 
maybe what you do is you learn and you say, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to do a 1031 exchange. I'm going to move my money from one property into a different type of property because that takes less of my time. There's less risk. You know, like always be looking at those decisions. Don't get uh, stagnant and thinking that this is your only option. You can always use tax policy with 1031s where you can move, right? An investment property and the boot that you've got into a new property. And, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, this fits me a lot better. So I encourage people to always question your assumptions and be thinking, is this accomplishing my objectives? And if it is, then how can I make another one? How can, what can I pull together? Do I need to get a mortgage? Do I need to look at a different location? Like what are the things that minimize risk? Cause that's also another part that, that we're paying attention to. Minimizing risk is a huge thing in business because anything you're going to get into, you're going to actually have risk uh, and a reward. And usually the higher reward, the greater the risk. If we are trying to minimize that risk, do you have any suggestions or anything that we could look at? Like we're going to jump full, you know, both feet into this one business and we're hopefully going to make it work. That's a lot of risk. Like, is there any thoughts in your brain about how we can mitigate risk or make sure that we're at best we can getting as little as possible? Yeah, this is an area that I think people mess up on. And it's actually a superpower for me because I'm looking at what can go wrong rather than just what can go right. And for example, we are in renting these houses in Sedona and now new policy has been suggested at the state legislature level about how properties, the government doesn't want people to buy these homes and only have them be investment properties. And so that can change the dynamics of our business. And so you know, one way of dealing with that might be that instead of buying another property in Sedona, we're buying a property in Joshua Tree or somewhere else that we like to visit that has a lower price point, but a good return on investment. And so risk can be geographic. It can be economic. I think I've lived through many different recessions. I want to be really crystal clear. I do not look at what just happened with the economy as the norm, whereas a lot of people have only been investing since 2008, 2009, and they're making all of their decisions based on an economy that they think is going to continue to behave this way for the next hundred years. It is not going to behave that way. There are going to be changes. And so getting out of la-la land and just thinking that because the past number of years looked a certain way that it's going to continue is not risk planning. Risk planning is what does this business look like in a bad economy? Interesting enough, my coaching business actually looks really good in a bad economy. The work that I do is oriented around fear. It's teaching people to overcome fear. Well, when things are great, people aren't thinking that much about fear. But when things don't do well, people are thinking a lot about fear and it takes over their decision making. And I'm really good at helping people move past the fear. So like I'm thinking about our overarching business when I just think we're in business and we have seven income streams, some of them are going to do great in one economy. Others are going to do great in a different economy. That's how you risk plan. I love that idea. That's fantastic. And as you're talking about and me being in real estate and just being uh, realistic, and I'm not realistic normally, I'm really optimistic. So your superpower of seeing the negative things, my wife has that. She's very like, it's innate inside of her. For me, it's the opposite. I'm like everything gung ho. Hey, this is going to be awesome. This is how we're going to do it. And she helps me like we get grounded. I'm like, okay, this is what I'm planning. She said, well, did you consider this? I'm like, no, I didn't. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. So yes, you definitely have to have that 
I think you need both optimistic and also the perspective of what can go wrong because it probably will. You never know. But so I completely agree that the economy is it's not going to stay the same and it never stays the same. It, it changes. In fact, since 2008, I started investing in 2006. So I was like, oh, I was like, if people are jumping in right now saying, oh, it's going to always going to be like that. I was like that in 2006. I learned my lesson. But here's the great thing. When I bought real estate, I wasn't buying for appreciation. I was only investing for cash flow. So I still own those properties. I made money when the prices was here. I, when the price came back down, I still made money. And now it's back up. I'm still making money. So that's how I do it. Now, here's a thought that, so I'm creating a course and, and a, a basically a product for people who want to get investing in real estate, but they're not ready. They don't have money. There's lots of debt. And as you were talking, I'm thinking this course that I want to create, and it's, I really love your book. And I want to talk about your book in just a second, but it's helping people in case, not in case, because it will happen when there is a correction in the market and there is some downturn, this would be a great thing for people and if I already have it produced, I'm like, okay, this is something that is going to be helpful. Like, I just want to help people. Here's, let me ask you what you think. So I have an ultimate real estate investing course. Like it's a system that people buy into. A lot of people aren't ready. They don't have the money. You know, they have a lot of debt and all that sort of stuff. What I want to do though, because I really just want to help people is I'm going to create this financial course that people are going to make, I don't know, three, 400 bucks, whatever the price is going to be. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but if they buy into it and they complete the course, I'm going to allow them to go into the big real estate investing course. Every penny that they put into this course, I will apply it to this one. So I really want them to get started. Does that sound like a good idea? It does sound like a good idea. The other thing that comes up, because I understand I work with people too who are trying to you know, turn their financial house in a different direction, and it may take years because one of my clients has over $200,000 in debt. You know, it's like, that is going to take time, but she's got a plan and she's going to do it. She's like, I can see how I can become a millionaire in like five years. And I'm like, right on. But one thing I have noticed, and I think your idea is fantastic. The other thing that you might think about is like, how can I add some kind of membership component to it? Because a course is more static, whereas what people really need is like the support, the ongoing place to kind of check in. And some of us do this through our Facebook groups and other things. But I think that what I'm noticing in the marketplace is that even more than information, it's this feeling of being part of a tribe and everyone working together to accomplish goals that we're missing so badly in the rest of the world. We used to have much tighter community circles than we do now. I think people really get excited when they can build relationships with other like-minded people who are trying to accomplish the same thing. So that's the, the one thing that I've just noticed makes a big impact. And even when I wrote my book, I knew that I do some deep work and I needed to make sure that people had a place where they could read the book and then come and be in that experience with other people. Like that was super important to me. And it's so exciting that we live in these times where that's possible. Think about these times, never been a better time in the history of the world to make money. And this is the reason why I have successful employed. There's so many great ways to make money. So I completely agree. So I want to touch on your book, but before we do that, what are your thoughts about the real estate market, about the economy in general? I mean, it's been going up for 10 years and usually it's every seven, eight years as a correction. There's some sort of correction. It's been going up for 10 years. What are your thoughts about the market right now? Yeah. Well, it's even been 12, I guess, if we think about it from the time of the slump. So that's a long run. Never in the history have we had this long of a run. Because I've been through it before, I feel like I've been a little bit of a naysayer. Like, I know it's going to happen. I just don't know when. 
I think it's interesting with the virus and the other stuff that's coming up, right? Because what I've always said and what I've noticed having studied the past 50 years of economic cycles and being an economist on the side, dreamer economist, is that in every situation, we did not know what the thing was going to be, or very few people knew the thing that was going to actually change the economy. So, you know, even something like a virus coming in and shaking things up, I mean, we need to take it seriously. We need to be in a contingency planning. The people who are able to see that these changes can happen, they're temporary. You're not going to do stupid things because of it. But if you can make arrangements or you can, like for an example would be, we already know what the rent would be full time on our properties in Sedona. And we could turn that over very quickly into something that's rented out maybe on a monthly basis where we might not make quite as much money, but we have people that are coming in and renting it for a month. Like that's contingency planning. Interesting enough, because I'm so in tune with the economy and fear, in 2006, I may have told you this when we were hiking, but I literally, as a mortgage banker, I knew it was all happening. And I literally in 2006 came home from work one day and looked at my husband and he was like working on a new house and we were living in and we were about to flip. And I was like, we have to sell everything we possibly can now in like June of 2006. And he's like, you're crazy. And I was like, no, we have to do it now. If we don't, we'll lose everything. It turned out to be true. Like literally we would have lost everything. So you did sell everything. We sold everything, but the house under construction, the big 4,000 square foot house. But, and that lost probably like seven, six, $700,000 in value through the economy change. But we didn't lose, it ended up, we sold the house for what it cost us to build, you know, many years later, but we didn't lose everything. And we would have, had we not had my foresight to say, we have to stop and we have to do some things differently immediately. So we ended up renting a house for a year, which was a huge inconvenience. But my husband trusted me that I was right. And when everything started happening, he just looked at me and he was like, oh my gosh, you know, you were right. And I'm glad I listened to you. So, you know, sometimes we are in business with our partners and like we need to listen to their intuition and we need to listen to things that they're telling us because that's part of being in a partnership is that, you know, sometimes it's not even going to make sense, but we need to do something. And we, and maybe we have time to make those pivots, you know, early enough in life. So that's my philosophy. You don't want to live defensively all the time. You want to have a balance of both just to be clear. Do you see anything like that coming in the future? Like another 2006, like right now, do you have any feelings like that? I don't because I think the underlying factors are very strong. The thing that is happening that we don't understand is how much a temporary, you know, like if you look at what's going on in China and all these factories shutting down. And, you know, I read today an article about businesses and keep in mind, small and medium businesses are typically the most affected. It's not the large corporations, it's the small guys. And so again, the more we can take care of ourselves, make sure that we have a really nice cash. Like I love lines of credit for this reason. We have a lot of cash in the bank. I mean, and when I say that, like we invest in like an ally where you can get a couple percent, but I want cash that I can get in minutes. And, and I'm very cautious about that. So we like to have lines of credit. We like to have resources. When you're involved in real estate, you don't know what's going to happen and you never want to be over the barrel saying, I can't do anything but this. So that's how I deal with it is cash is king. 
in times of distress. So I don't know what's going to happen. I just know I'm already prepared for it. That's great. I completely agree. I, same here. I got plenty of money saved up when it does happen, because it will. Eventually, there will be a correction. I don't know if it'll be a collapse or a crash or anything like that. But I do know that something will happen where it will change. It just has to change. It's just the way it's always happening and always will that I'm ready. But I love the idea that you gave me a thought. So I own my house outright that I currently live in. It's like, you know what? I don't want to refinance and pull money out right now. But just having that line of credit right now, like getting that line of credit so that I could tap into it and buy a bunch of other great things when the market does correct. I'm like, that's a great idea because when you need money, nobody's going to lend it to you. When you don't need money, that's when they're like, okay, here you go. But if you have that line of credit, you already have that. Like, you've already settled that and the bank is already giving it to you. So once it does change, they're like, oh, shoot, we've already made a contract and we have to. So I think that's a great idea. And I'll add to it just one thing, which is when you don't have a mortgage on a property, you are in such a good position because you're going to get the lowest rates. You're not going to get turned down. And even if the economy were to affect the home prices, because you have such a great loan to value, it won't be one of those lines of credit that gets called, which is what happened last time around. So kudos to you. I think it's great. And I love people to have those sorts of, even if it costs 150 bucks a year or something, totally worth it. Yeah. Having access to that. And I know like us, like we're investors, we're business owners above all, like any money that I pull out of this house is going to go to an investment. It's going to go where it's going to make me money. It's not going to like, I need to build a pool in my backyard. No, it's not that. I'm the type of person that any money that I have, it's going to investing. So I want to move on to your book. I read your book and it is so, it's a deep book. Like you think, okay, if I were to write a money book, do finances and stuff, it's literally X, Y, and Z, do X, Y, and Z. Yours really helps people to think more about just deeper on how you feel about money or what money does in affecting you, your history growing up and all that sort of stuff. Could you give us a general overview of your book? Because it's something that a lot of people need to read. Oh, thank you. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. My working in the money business for 30 years channeled into something that I've spent five years trying to figure out what I was communicating. But you captured it well in that it is written for someone who is ready to understand themselves better and then how their understanding of themselves shows up in their relationship with money. So if you spend a lot of time thinking about money, whether it's because it scares you or because you love it and you focus a lot of attention, there's something for everybody in the book. Because what I have found is the more I understand myself, the more I'm able to make better decisions as it pertains to money and my relationships, which oftentimes money and relationships get very intertwined. You know, if we're thinking about how we're raising our kids and the messages we're sending to them and the experiences we have maybe with our parents or with our friends or with other partners in a business, like all of those things, I think are helped by this journey into our relationship with money. And I wrote the book in a way where you could just read the first part of it, and that will open your eyes to kind of patterns of scarcity and patterns of prosperity. And where are you doing a really good job? And where are you really struggling? And then the second part is a workbook where you ask, you're asking yourself questions about what's happened in the past. And, you know, some people might just enjoy the first part and they might not like the second part or need to do the second part. And I liked it that way because I feel like there will be times in our lives where we realize that we want to go deeper and crack through the crust of kind of how we've been, the assumptions that we're living under. And this book helps people question the assumptions and decide if maybe there are some tweaks that you want to make in your life that will bring you more joy, bring you more prosperity, bring you more freedom 
that's what we're trying to do here. It's just sometimes we can go deeper. And I learn from the book just as much as I think anyone reading it. Like I'm learning, I go back and I read it and I'm like, oh, when did I write this? Like, I'm still learning from it. So there's a lot there. That's fantastic. Now, I want to jump into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Sure. Awesome. So broad questions, you should be able to answer them. Might get you thinking a little bit, but I know you're a thinker. So this will should be easy. If you were to look at your life and if you had to write your own epitaph or you write on your own tombstone, what your life, your legacy would be, what would you want written on your tombstone? The first thing that comes is she survived. Because I feel like that was the first half of my life and now the second half. So if I, God willing, I get another 50 years, I think it will be she survived and ultimately thrived. And I feel like this past five years has been the thriving part. But the big difference between me working for others, interesting that it ties into your work, is that I was not just working for others. I feel like I was living for others in my own way. And so now it's about thriving for myself. And the more I'm able to know what me that means for me, and I, the more I live it, the more I help other people, including my family, thrive. But I had to figure it out first. I couldn't wait for them to tell me what that was. I absolutely agree with that. Now, Hopefully, we have a little bit more time. We're not working 40, 50, 60 hours for somebody else. Like you said, we have a little more time and we are able to hopefully give and serve other people because we have a little extra time and serving, I find it helps me in general. I just get so much more out of serving. How are you serving either make the world a better place or the people around you or community or anything like that? This work that I've been doing in the coaching business that I put into the Mindful Millionaire, that's my way of serving. And I feel like my hope is that that is a book that people keep close by and they return to again and again for 10, 20, 30 years, that it's that helpful to them. That's great. Yeah. If you change somebody in their finances, understanding of finances, even the way they think about finances in general, they're going to hopefully get better at doing finances. And I completely agree with that. And I know just think about marriages in general, marriages usually break up one of the big ones, obviously infidelity, that's a huge one, but financial troubles, that is such a strain on marriage. So if you're able to help people get a better grasp on money, understand money better. It's going to help so many different aspects. That's awesome. Now, the next question, if somebody were to get started and to, and they've, they've already gotten started, they're already moving forward and they want to build a successful business, what would you suggest? Like, what's a piece of advice that you would give to them as they've already started their business, they're moving, what should they do? And what piece of advice would you give? I would say a very powerful strategy is to understand your fears. And the more you understand your fears, the more you're able to move beyond them and not have them affect your life. And the fear may be completely unrelated to money, but what I found is all roads can still lead back to money. So we look at the fear, maybe it's about being loved. And that's kind of what I'm featuring, right, in the book. It's like your fear of not being loved actually can translate to your relationship with money. So all the fears, the main fears you have in life, you can still see how they play out with money. One quick follow-up with that. Once you understand those fears, how do we then shift out of and making those instead of being a fears, now you're being courageous and walking through those fears? I wrote a book to do that, but <laughs> let's see, what is it? This is where mindfulness is so powerful, being able to notice where the root cause of the fear is and being able to move. Sometimes it's forgiveness. Sometimes it's jealousy. Sometimes it's 
uh, grudges that we're holding on to. Like our fears often perpetuate because we are holding on to stuff that keeps them in place. And so once we know the fear, we've got to figure out, well, why is it staying there? Like, why doesn't it just gone away? We're not living from the amygdala anymore. Like we don't have to, but there are reasons. And so go on a scouting mission to find out what's keeping it in place. So not only are you working around it, but you're actually knocking the fear pillar down. So it's not a theme in your life anymore. That's fantastic. Everybody should be definitely getting the Mindful Millionaire and start reading that. So the next question is, what is one tool or app or something that you use in your general life that we should look at using? Interesting. One tool that was so funny and it's so simple, but these are probably an example of how something you do over and over again and you don't question the assumption. It could be a piece of paper and pencil. For years, I used time trade in my um, business for people to book sessions with me. And I had somebody set up like Calendly and integrate it with Zoom. And like, you would have thought that my whole entire world changed where all of a sudden one thing happened and everything came into like alignment. So I didn't have to do anything for my sessions being set up. But I feel like there's probably a lot of stuff in life that can be automated and we're not thinking about the automation and therefore we don't do it. But back to our earlier discussion where our time is the most valuable resource we have. So any apps that can save us time are well worth the struggle in first training our minds to do the new thing. That's a great idea. There's one thing that's going on with my business right now. Whenever somebody opts in, I literally, I'll put them in the system myself, but it literally takes me like two to 10 seconds. But when you have like 20 in a day, it's like, that's a lot of seconds added up. I'm frugal. And so $20 to pay a system to actually do that whole process a month, it's a lot of money. But I'm realizing that's so much extra time. So I could also, it's Zapier, you know, Zapier. So I need to pay money to Zapier to have them do that. But there's probably other things I could actually do. So I really need to force myself to do that because just getting my brain off of something I need to do and put that in the system is like, oh, that's just a waste of my brain power, not just time. So I completely agree. Now, what is one piece of advice that you would give to yourself, your younger self, you know, just getting started to in business and life or whatever, what's the piece of advice that you would give to your younger self? So I have a 22 year old daughter. So we're thinking about these things right now a lot. The biggest thing is saving money. Like every decision oriented to how do I end up with money left over at the end of the month versus it all going out. And one thing I realized that I'm going to start teaching about more because it just really hit me the other day is that just what you said earlier, that if we can retrain our minds, many of us spend money very habitually. We try to deal with some of the pain that we're feeling inside of ourselves. We spend on vacations that are really not necessary because there are other things we could do that are less expensive that would bring us just as much satisfaction, but it looks really good to post on Instagram that we went to Hawaii. I'm guilty of this. Don't, you know, I'm no judgment. But what I've realized is that the earlier in life, you know, Lisa made the decision to invest rather than spend, the faster she would have reached this stage that we're telling everybody is so awesome 
it's a mindset shift to see that when we're putting money, maybe in the beginning into a savings account, and we're not sure what it's going to be used for, but we're actually making an investment and we can get that, get the same rush that we get when we buy this beautiful red pair of shoes that we've been dying for. Like if we can shift our attention to the rush coming from the saving and the investing, we have got it made. I love it. I completely agree. What is one, this is the last question, what's one nonfiction book that you would suggest outside the Mindful Millionaire, which we'll definitely put those in the show notes, you can definitely go get that. Uh, what is one other nonfiction book that you would suggest that we should read? So I'm a big fan of Jack Cornfield's books and he's coming up right now, so I'm just gonna trust. A big shift in my life was a book that he has called A Path with Heart. And I love these books that can allow us to step back and just see what's going on inside of our own relationship with ourselves. And that any time spent in that direction will always lead to really cool things in the external world. So that's one of many. Very cool. Matt, Lisa, you've given us so many great things, lots of great things to think about. I'm a one, two person, like one, two, three, four. I'm a list person. I don't think too much. In fact, uh, it's kind of funny. So my wife, it takes her a long time to go to sleep because she has a lot of stuff going through her brain. It takes me like two minutes because I have nothing going through here. And so it's just like, I just go out you reading your book and then talking to you just gets me so much more thinking. I get a lot more done when I think or at least better things. So Lisa, it's been fantastic having you on. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you, if they wanted to see anything that you're doing, how can they find you? Yeah, the best way to move forward would come to wealthclinic.com. And another option on Facebook is the Mindful Millionaire Community. And so that is, like I said, being built now, even though the book comes out June 2020, for people to you know meet other like-minded people who are interested in this inner work. So thank you. Absolutely. Everybody, you definitely should be checking out everything that Lisa puts out. So Lisa, thank you again. It was fantastic to have you on the Successful Unemployed Show. You asked such great questions. I'm loving this conversation. Thank you so much, Dustin. This is great. Take care. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses, group coaching with me, and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. It'll be in the description, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. You can see how you can quit your job, that J-O-B, by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.